Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Welcome to another episode of Stargazing, Gala Stars podcast. Uh, we have a special podcast, not only because we're starting a fresh NHL season, but we have our own Taylor Baird joining us to, today and also a special guest since we're going to be concentrating on talking about the Texas Stars. Tonight, we welcome Stephen Meserve, 100 Degree Hockey, to the podcast. So uh, we're going to get right into it and start talking about the Texas Stars. And I think last year we, we did something similar here and we talked up like we had a loaded roster and the team didn't get off to a great start. And I think we're going to come out here and say that the roster is even better this year. What do you think, Stephen? Well, you know, the roster is is good on paper right now. And, you know, I had a conversation with a Texas Stars GM and obviously Dallas assistant GM Scott White the other day. And, you know, he had a similar sentiment of roster is great on paper. And he actually said that he feels like it's, you know, top three or four rosters that have been constructed for the Texas Stars in their 13-year history. But again, it's only as good as the results. And and Texas gets started on Friday against Colorado with a, a pair of home games here. And, uh, you know, we'll see how the team comes together and gels. But yeah, on paper, looks great, right? Looks absolutely phenomenal. But results, we'll, we'll see. Well, and it's kind of a group that did a major turnaround last year where, where they... They started playing, I think, a little bit of uh, bonus hockey to start the year, and halfway through, they they kind of found their own way and started playing some really solid solid games down the stretch. Barely made the playoffs, but I, I thought there was a great turnaround there. Yeah, it's about with about forty six games left. Well, not about exactly. Neil Graham, Texas Stars head coach, very specific about this. With forty six games left, they made some changes to the way that they approached their game. Actually, they they made some specific changes with the way that they attacked through the neutral zone, some of their transition stuff, because um, it really just what they had done wasn't working. And from that point, he's very proud to say that they were 10 games above 500 in that those last 46 games of the season. And that's basically how they made it to the postseason. And they were able to play those couple extra games that they got um, against Rockford. Now, you know, it was a weird year. They did the the seeding a little bit different where they tried to get almost every team into the playoffs if they could. They played two games. Neither one was at home. But again, playoff hockey is good. Um, but it was a huge turnaround for them. And one of the things that, you know, I think really contributed to the fact that when there was a Dallas Stars head, head coach change over the summer, really a coaching staff overall change, you know, Neil Graham was the one person who was untouchable on the staff because he just, the, the team, the organization has such faith in him as Uh, a leader for the future of the Dallas Stars. Not only that, but I will say, you know, in speaking with Jim Nill and and some other people around the team, um, when when Jim Nill kind of talks about succession planning, uh, he wasn't just necessarily talking about himself. He was talking about throughout the entire organization, ensuring that you have people in place that can take over when their time has come. And the organization as a whole also sees Neil Graham in that same light um, that he is definitely, you know, their next kind of homegrown product, so to speak, um, to come into the, into the NHL. And I, I know that Pete DeBoer said that um, Neil Graham was instrumental in all of their coaches 
meetings over the summer through Traverse City, through training camp, um, and that a lot of what he had put in place with Texas last at the end of last season is how DeBoer wants them to play in Dallas. And so I think that kind of helped contribute to how some of some of the young guys coming into training camp looked like even a little bit more comfortable than they probably normally would with a new system because they'd already been playing that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're kind of uh, leading into something that uh, I've been I've been working on kind of asking a couple guys, asking, you know, players who were here last year who are back this year about it. Um, it's a story that I want to write here. I, I have confidence that the Dallas Stars, the players who played for Texas last year who are now on Dallas, like, you know, a Ty Delandry or somebody like that, they're going to have success in the Dallas system and Pete DeBoer's system because, spoiler alert, they already played it the last half of last year with the Texas Stars. Um, there were a lot of similarities in the way that that system was built and instituted. Um, and I don't want to say, you know, uh, well, I can say what I like, but Neil Graham did not want to put Rick Bonus's systems under the bus or anything like that in talking to him. But it was clear that the staff that they had in Texas or the, the players, the personnel, did not work the system that uh, Dallas had in the same way. Um, well, same argument perhaps could be made about Dallas personnel in the end. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, they made a change because it wasn't working for them, right? And that's why, uh, Taylor, as you alluded to, over the summer, as they had the coaches' meetings, Graham was so involved because he'd already done this, right? He instituted this mid-season without a training camp, without the benefit of, you know, hours of video work and stuff. They just kind of went back to camp in the middle of the year and came out with a winning record, uh, which I think, again, speaks to the fact that he should be part of the succession planning um, for this organization. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think you know, after watching what they did last year, it, it has to make you feel pretty good about what's going on with the team this year, because there are some major contributors from that last year's team who, who aren't even going to be able to make it onto the roster to, for opening night. Um, exactly. But let's let, 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 let's kind of work our way up here. Let's let's start with the net. Um, what do we we have Anton Hudobin, who who everybody here should be pretty familiar with. And then you also have um, Matt Murray, who is uh, on, on one of those weird little uh, weird little two two year AHL contracts, which you don't see see very often. And then you also have Adam Scheel, who uh, who at least had an opportunity last year to put himself as uh, as kind of the up and coming netminder. Um, so you have a pretty healthy competition there in net for Texas. Yeah, it, it's one of those situations where you know the number one job of the Texas Stars in net, obviously to develop, but also you got to have that third guy ready. So. You know, as much as you'd love to say, okay, well, you know, we're going to just play the heck out of Matt Murray and Adam Scheel, you got to have Hudobin playing as well so that he's ready as a third guy that needs to call up. Um, because I don't think Adam Scheel's ready and and uh, Matt Murray isn't even on an NHL contract. So he's your guy, right? Um, so that puts you in a situation where you have to have Hudobin playing decently uh, often. And then Matt Murray seems to be the, you know, that number two guy. He would be the number one guy if Hudobin weren't here. Um, then what do you do with Scheele and Poirier? Um, the plan right now, uh, in talking to the, the team, they want to run 
three goaltenders in Texas and then run sort of a platoon system where they are trading back and forth Shiel and Poirier to Idaho so that they can trade off having experience at the AHL level, even if they're not playing, you know, playing as AHL uh, guys in practice. And the goal, there's a goalie coach here who they don't have a goalie coach in Idaho, but here uh, Ryan Daniels is the goalie development coach uh, for the Texas star side of things. Um, but then down in Idaho, they can just play tons of minutes, see a lot of rubber and get an opportunity to actually take a starter's workload. Um, that's kind of the plan in terms of, in terms of platooning those two goalies. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, Alaska Airlines has a direct flight now from Austin to Boise. I'm sure that the guys used the heck out of that flight, got a lot of freaking flyer miles. Um, and that they're going to be using that one a lot to go back and forth in the, in net this year. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, Idaho's always had, had a pretty strong net mining presence, uh, and been a real successful franchise. And, you know, you take a look, they, they have their own guys who are signed and, uh, you know, somebody like Jake Kupski, who's been uh, who kind of got his way to the top position there last year. Now he's probably not going to get a whole lot of time because you have all this rotation coming in with the with the depth starting in Dallas and going through Texas. It's so strange. You know, I, I credit to, you know, Neil Graham before him, Everett Sheen now, who's the GM and, and head coach there in Idaho, that. They always seem to find excellent goaltending prospects, and Jake Kupski is another one of those. I, honestly, you know, last year yeah, I thought he was a guy who who should be on an on an AHL deal potentially to Texas if they needed him, because um, for a while there you had uh, you had Shield, you had Colton Point, and it wasn't really the strongest goaltending group uh, for the Texas Stars, and he was putting up great numbers in the ECHL, so it seemed like he was a good a good solid pick. They always seem to find great goaltenders, and that is the position that's most likely to have a trickle-down effect, of course, into the ECHL is is the goaltending group because you can only have two sort of at each level. And that that's a team that you can pretty much always count on um, to to have a good year. They've got an incredible running playoff streak. Uh, aside from the pandemic, they've they've made the playoffs, you know, twenty something years in a row. So yeah, it's pretty it's, much it's, since I started. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an incredible incredible run that they'd had, um, and. Uh, they're a really good place uh, to to have uh, have the goaltenders for the Dallas Stars, but I think they're going to have as as we move forward out from the net here in talking about the positions, they're going to have a lot more people this year in Idaho, uh, a lot more players than they've had in the past on NHL contracts, even uh, who they have not always had the deepest bench of NHL contracts in Idaho, and I think that's something that they're really going to relish uh, having a lot of really deep experience at the forward and defensive position, in addition to the traditional having a goaltender like an Adam Scheel or a Remy Poirier continuously platooning out of there. Kind of explain to me. So, you know, obviously I, I, I read your stuff and, and I, and I love you guys and I love you and you're one of my favorite humans, but I can only keep up with so many things um, in a given year. But I thought that, one of the surprising moves that Dallas made or that Texas made coming out of training camp was they reassigned defenseman Dawson Barto down to his defenseman, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Right-handed Double too. Double thinking myself here. <laughs> um, yeah. But they, so, so they sent him down to ECHL and I was really surprised because I thought that he had a solid season last year. I mean, I think he did too, and and this is one of those things where you look at the depth of experience that Dallas has built on the blue line. I mean, from the top down, right, all the way from first pairing in Dallas down. 
um, yeah, I had the same conversation yesterday with with some of the folks at Media Day, and, and you're like, okay, you know, who's going to go down on defense? And Owen Hedrick was one who who did get sent down today. He's on an, uh, an AHL deal. And then Dawson Partow, it kind of surprised me. But you look at it, he's like the ninth defenseman on this team um, when you go kind of lay it out. Because all the guys that you've got in front of him, you've got Shea, you've got Butcher, Gleason, Petrovic, who's a big, uh, uh, you know, big guy down here. He'll be wearing a letter. Harley, right? And then you've got Rosberg. Who are you going to put? Uh, oh, and Sacconi, right? You've got all of those guys in front of him. You know, who, who do you knock out? Who do you take out of the lineup so Bartow plays? It's probably better for his development to have him in Boise playing big minutes and be able to come in. Uh, he, he got a really a, a huge benefit, um, you know, amid all the chaos that was the COVID year. There was no Idaho Steelheads team to send him to. And so he played the entire year in the AHL two years ago and got way more experience than he should have gotten at that level if it had been a, a you know, quote unquote, normal year. So. Maybe there's a little bit of a bias there, too, where he's got two years of AHL experience and maybe he should have only had like one in, in a normal development path. But, you know, this is something that Dallas is in a good position here. And this is why we say the roster looks really good on paper. When you're sending a player like Dawson Barteau to the ECHL, when you're sending Jordan Kawaguchi a forward to the ECHL, you're in a pretty good position in terms of the depth of this team. Um, and that's that's why there are really good vibes and good feelings around the team this year so far because of the depth that has been built over the years here. Well, yeah, and I had this conversation with multiple people when I was up at Traverse City this last year. You know, there there, there was some talk about you know this, we don't know any of these D men, and I said you know the only you know, Michael Caro is maybe the only guy who's here who's going to see time in in texas and he probably might be the seventh d yeah i can't believe i completely forgot about caro he came in and had a great uh first year i think he scored a goal in his first game and and was really solid uh contributor at the end of the season last year he's going to be a guy who rotates into the lineup i mean yeah yeah it's it's like texas only has three hl deals and and, you know caro caro murray and 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 the captain yeah, and, and uh, you look at those guys who who are on the AHL deals, you know, they, they've they've done a great job always like scouting, um, especially they do a great job scouting the college game. Uh, you know, Scott White is a guy, Michigan guy. There's always got to be like at least one guy from Ferris State, at least one guy from Michigan Tech, I feel like, on the roster. Um, Caro, by the way, fulfills your Michigan Tech quota. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll probably pick up a Ferris State guy at some point later in the year because that's just the way that always goes. Um, you know, but you got to have those kind of like secret, not really secret, but, you know, those regional expertise. You know, uh, Lake Superior State is another one that they seem to always pick up. Um, but there are those guys who can fill those roles, those AHL roles. Um, and te- Texas has always done a really good job of finding those guys and sometimes even turning them into NHL contracts. I am really excited to see what Matt Murray and goal is able to do in terms of turning his his AHL deal that one of those as you mentioned rare two year AHL deals because most are one year contracts into an NHL contract. It's clear that Dallas thinks he has potential that you know they had him in camp and 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 he's you know the number two guy here behind Hudobin. If he can perform well, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he has an NHL contract you know by Christmas. 
Um, we've seen things like that in the past, and I think it's it's all up to him right now. And that's that's the conversation that I that I had this week with Scott White is basically it's up to him. Like contract is is completely on the table if his play warrants it. No, no let's let's kind of spend some time on the D here. Um, we we have we have just a plethora of talent there. Um, I think last year when when we spoke, uh, you, you'd mentioned that they'd kind of. Uh, Put uh, put Alex Petrovic right on the hip of uh, of Thomas Harley, and he was he was going to be mentoring him and and being his uh, his guide to the NHL. Um, is that really something that's going to continue through this year, or do you how how do you see the pairings coming through uh, with with all the talent that we have on the D? I think it's less this year. It's going to be less Harley, you know, needing kind of a babysitter in the AHL level. Um, you certainly hope that if you're if you're looking to him to make the jump to the NHL, um, the pairings that they had the other day, you know, it is always difficult. You guys can sympathize with me, although it's the world's tiniest violin that we get to watch uh, training camp and practice uh, up close. But they don't wear numbers on the back. There's only yeah. a helmet. So it's always <laughs> difficult worst. to tell what the pairings are. Um, but it was uh, Petrovic was actually paired with Will Butcher. Um which was an interesting uh, pairing. A butcher is a, a lefty, a lefty, and so they had him on the left side of, of Petrovic on the right. Um, Petrovic, offensive dynamo, had two goals in the scrimmage, which was impressive. <laughs> uh, I actually gave I actually gave Ben Gleason some some crap about that. I was like, you got a you got competition here to be the next offensive defenseman for the Dallas Stars. So, um, but he said he said he was going to have a, a a good a good talk with Petrovic to make sure he didn't uh, you know take over his crown. Um, but anyways, it was it was a good uh, it's a good group and and you look at you know we like I said we were just talking about like Caro right like Caro is is a solid D man at this level and he's probably seven eight right because you got to fit in. Um, guys who are developing for Dallas, you know, obviously a guy like Harley, right? You've got Shea, Gleason, and Rosberg, along with Sacconi. And then you've got your kind of more AHL, NHL split guy like Petro and Butcher. Um, and then there's Caro, right? Who's like seven, eight. I, yeah. It's a super deep group. Um, and it's a group that they, in talking to them the other day, uh, got a chance to chat, as I said, with Gleason a little bit. They feel like the system that was implemented in uh, Dallas that obviously has echoed down to Texas is a system that really takes advantage of the offensive, you know, flair that some of them have here down here, you know, uh, Gleason and, and Harley, especially, but, you know, Shane Rosberg have, so, have shown some of that uh, here at the, here at the AHL level. There's a lot of opportunity for them to put up some, some interesting, you know, point numbers if if the system all goes well and special teams are singing and all the things that you hope for a couple interesting things there do you remember two years ago toward the end of the season where the, there was this about 10 game stretch at the end where they paired gleason and harley together and they just both went nuts yeah i do, do remember you think that. there's a do you think there's a chance that they might bring that back with this lineup I mean, I don't think anything's off the table. I, I mean, if you're pairing, you know, Butcher and Petrovic together, you start to look at it and like, you know, you got Harley and, and Gleason as, as two offensive guys who could, if you can trust, uh, you know, trust your goaltending, if you trust uh, the transition game that, you know, they can they can bring it out, bring it back and all the things they got to do um, so they don't get burned. I mean, also, you've got two years more of maturity for both of them right from Gleason yeah. and Harley and so in addition to their offensive game which has always been strong hopefully both of their defensive games I, I know they've matured both of them um, from watching them it may not be as wild an idea as it was two years ago 
Um, and hopefully it won't be as wild up and down as it was two years ago. Um, it was fun to watch. Um, probably. Yeah, it was great for the coaching staff. On the topic of Thomas Harley, you know, one, one question I kind of have is from Neil or Scott White's perspective, um, was it a surprise to see him back in Texas at, to start the year? I didn't get a chance to ask about about Harley's, you know, about the expectations on Harley there um, with either of them. I think, you know, I, I think, Taylor, you know, we talked a little bit about it at, at training camp um, about, you know, what what's important for Harley you know, if he were to come down here, he needs to play with a chip on his shoulder and not sulk. And I think that we've seen the HL level. I mean, these guys are competitive. They really want to be at the NHL level. That's their job is to be NHL players. And there's a difference in the way you can approach the assignment. Uh, and we've seen both, right? We've seen both. There are players who come down here and they just they, it's like they got shot out of a cannon, you know, like Dennis Gurionov actually is a good example. You know, he got yeah. sent down uh, two, two, three years ago briefly, and he had four goals in two games. You know, he had a, he had a one goal game and then he had a hat trick and then they're like, OK, he's good. And they brought him back and he has come back. Right. Um, but then you compare that with a guy like Jamie Alexiak, who would get a sign down here and just sad sack around. And and, you know, and then he'd get, you know, clearly upset when other guys would get called up instead of him. And it's like, well, you know, you came down here and you acted like you were better than the place and you didn't, you know, you weren't really playing to your full potential and then somebody lapped you. That's, you know, that that's a difference in attitude and the way that you approach the assignment. And, you know, I'm, you know, in talking to Harley, he's a, he's a big competitive guy. I think, I don't think he's going to take the assignment as being a sad sack, you know, what was me situation. I think he's going to, try and light the league on fire and and never come back. And that's, I, I mean, all to the good, obviously, for for this team's, you know, October and November, if that's what he could do. So so do you see Harley getting power play time with this group? I Yeah, I think, I don't know anyone else who, who you'd put ahead of him um, in terms of both his development and his skill. Um, well, it's, I it, mean, I mean, Gleason, Gleason's been playing one PP for a while. Yeah, so and... I don't, I, uh, and, I, I, and and then you have Butcher sitting there. So I, I'm looking at Gleason and Butcher. And so if you're putting Harley on the power play, you're doing it be, for development, not because he's the number one or number two guy on the team. Yeah, and I think I think you know the creativity that he has up there. You know, you also Dallas or sorry Texas ran, I believe toward the end of the year, especially last year. Mark, you can check me on this as I'm remembering. They had a four-one unit, but they also had a three-two unit. Yeah. Uh, on the power yeah. play. And so, again, it's about personnel, right? And if you got three, if you have three potential options, then that gives you the opportunity to have, you know, Harley and Gleason, or, you, you know, you could have Harley on one or Gleason on one. And then, you know, one of the own with a butcher or, or, you know, Petra or Shea or something like that, potentially, or maybe you got somebody up top, uh, just in terms of alignment, maybe you've got a forward, like, there's a lot of different opportunities here. And, um, they did a lot of work on the power play in the scrimmage that they did on Friday and in the scrimmage that they did, or sorry, on Saturday and on uh, Tuesday as well. Um, so it's clearly a point of emphasis, you know, something that Travis Morin is running the the power play again, and, and Max Fortunis is running the PK. And, and so just another year of uh, a focus on that uh, is something that they're going to, uh, you know, hopefully have great personnel to plug into the system that they're running. I got to say, if if you are not running... Harley in big power play minutes down there. 
from an organizational perspective, that's a little bit of a failure because I don't think that the intention sending him down is to have him not play in those big, big moments. Um, Absolutely. I, I think he's, you know, sending him down, you want him to play uh, 20, 25 minutes, right? Like that, that's, that's the thing in all situations as well. He should be on all special teams, tough minutes, big minutes overall, because that's why he's here. That's the point. That's the point of the league, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 still a development league, and and that is what he needs. He needs time on both both sides of special teams. Absolutely, and he he, you know, readily admits that he needs to work on the you know the defensive side. That's what he needs to to continue to build on. Doesn't mean he's not going to be on the power play, obviously, though, because he also want to win games, and he's going to give you a great opportunity to win games uh, by having his you know his skill and creativity out there on the point. Say a little bit about where Jared Rosberg fits in all this. I, I just, you know, he he had this one uh, this one exhibition game where he pretty much just ran the table and and was looking to hit everything that was out there, which uh, which seemed to impress our announcers quite a bit. But uh, where where does he fit in all this system? You know, I gotta say, I'm. I'm not exactly sure. It's an interesting question because he he has, like you as you alluded to, like physicality. I think you know Texas doesn't have a lot of fights generally. We're not a northeastern team that play that fights a lot. Um, I think he might have had the you know one of like the five fights that that Texas had all year last year, um, maybe one or two of them. So he's got he's got that in his game, um, a little bit of pugnacity and those sorts of things. Um, for a while there, he was trying. It, it felt like they were trying to roll him as more of a, an offensive guy. Um, as well. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, potentially doors open, but they've got a lot of the guys who fill that who fill that role. Um, he's probably going to need to fit more into the mold of, you know, like a Sacconi type of more defensive focus, I would imagine. I, you know, I think it's a lot of blank slate, though, um, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, I, I haven't seen enough to say, you know, oh, yeah, he's definitely this or he's definitely that. I think he could go a couple of different ways. Well, he's, he's kind of a hybrid, which is, I think, where, where Bartow also always got lost because he's not really a, a defensive defender, uh, but he's also not really offensive, but he, he, can, he can do a little bit of all of it. Yeah, and I guess that, that leads into sort of the confusion of, of if he doesn't have a defined role and we're not seeing him being used in a specific way, then, he, like you're saying, he sort of falls into those cracks. And, and Bartow, yeah, is another good example. Now, I imagine as he heads down to uh, the ECHL, you know, he's going to be, I mean, similar to a Harley at the AHL level, like you're going to put him on the ice all over the place because he's got more experience than a lot of the guys that you're going to be icing otherwise. But Rosberg is, you know, I think he's, I think he's an everyday player, right? For the, for the Texas stars. I don't know that he has as defined and, and clear a role as like a Harley on offense or like a Sacconi on defense. The thing I, I like watching Rosberg just because he seems to have this innate ability ability to get the other team to dislike him, and all, yeah, and, all, and, and 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 that gets under a lot of teams at this level. Yeah, that that everybody's working on all the skills, including ignoring the other team. So that's a um, yeah, that's a good it's a it's a good thing to have, and and you know I think there've been a lot of of defensive prospects that have come in. I'm going to be perfectly honest, but like between him and and Ryan Shea, it's not that they're indistinguishable from each other, but like they both kind of came in at the same time. The other one has fully 
claimed a mantle of being something and not another thing. And so, you know, the group of them are have not distinguished themselves from each other at this point. Um, and that's kind of a tough, I think it's a tough spot for them to be in. I, if I were them, I'd much rather be the guy who, oh, you're the guy who's like the solid shutdown D. You're the guy who's the solid, you know, you're our power play, you know, PP1 guy. It's a tough spot for him to be in. And I, I imagine he's looking to define himself more as the year goes on here. Yeah, it was, it was kind of kind of interesting to see Shea pot a couple of goals in uh, in the preseason just because he spent so long trying to get that first one in the AHL. Yeah, it's always hard to get the monkey off the back. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these guys, some of these rookies, you know, uh, pot their first pro goals as well. Um, you know, it, it's always it's always interesting to watch at the beginning of the year. I think there's going to be a lot of really good forwards as well who, you know, are, are looking for their first one. And um yeah, it's it's always fun. It's always fun. It's always a, a great a great uh, celebration for them. Um, but well, let's, yeah, let's kind of let's kind of move it up there. Then yeah, you, you said forwards. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, about all, all these guys who pushed uh, pushed Jordan Kawaguchi down to Idaho. Yeah, it's it's a stacked group. You know, it's funny because I. I, I tweeted something earlier today. I, I was reading a couple different things, and I've just been hearing people talk about. Uh, the team, uh, obviously, and and there are so many good forwards that people forget about some of the highest quality guys in the group. You know, people are talking, oh, you know, Freddie Karlstrom or or Oscar Beck, those guys are going to be great, and people are completely forgetting about you know Frederick Olofsson, right? Who's going to be who's going to be on their line? It sounds like to start the year, so they're doing an all Swede line. They're forgetting about a guy like Riley Barber, who is you know a guy who. Most NHL fans probably don't know about, but he's one of those one of those quad A guys who yep. is excellent at this level, point per game player in the AHL, and he just like doesn't even scratch the surface of some people's analysis of this roster. And he's the kind of guy who I will beat this drum for as long as as long as is necessary. You know, he's the guy you need on the roster, even though he's he probably isn't going to play a single game for the Dallas Stars. He will make the guys who are eventually Dallas Stars better players. He's going to make right. a better player, et cetera, because you're going to need them eventually. You need them in a winning environment. Teach them how to be pros. Right. And the same could be said for Tanner Caro. He's, he's going to fill that same role. Exactly. And I, I'm actually really excited about what Tanner Caro hopefully can do this year because yeah, he had kind of a weird past two years. There was Taxi Squad, right, which a lot of players had a lot of difficulty getting back into the swing of things after ta- after being on the Taxi Squad for, for much of the year during the COVID year. And then... Um, he had some injuries, right, that that derailed him last year. And so this is an opportunity for him to be fully healthy on a team for a full season. And we know he's a solid player and, and he's the type of type of guy who, again, as we said, quad A, right, um, it can can really help this team out. And so I'm really excited about what he can hopefully bring to this team. Because um, he showed flashes of it in his first season. He scored, you know, it looks like 33 points in 49 games, right? And I, if I recall, that was after having a bit of a slow start even. He has the skill to really contribute at this level. Another, hey, another power play guy. They're going to be spoiled for choices on the power play. Yeah, and you really you really have some veterans that you can spread throughout the lineup. Because, of course, you have uh, you have Curtis McKenzie there as well, who's, who's from what I saw, is, is going to be wearing the C this year again. So, uh uh, another guy who's who's I, I don't I don't know if he's quad A anymore, but he certainly spent his time uh, bouncing around between and has significant NHL experience at this point. Yeah, he's this is his tenth year in the league uh, or in the in professional. 
uh, side of things and uh, his seventh with Texas. And he's actually, if you'd believe it, it makes, makes me feel quite old. He's the second oldest person on the team. Um, and I still consider him basically a kid behind uh, Anton Hudobin, who is who is 36. Yeah. He's actually the old Hudobin's actually the oldest person to play for the Texas Stars. I went and looked that up the other day. Uh, oldest ever wow. at 36. But McKenzie is is the grizzled veteran at, at all of 31. The captain, uh, of course, that this team needs. He was again another one of those two-year AHL deals. And you know, I think he we talk, got a chance to talk to him yesterday at Media Day, and he very well understands the role of where he is. If you remember, he won the Rookie of the Year trophy for the AHL back in, in 2013, 2013-14. Um, you know, Riley Damiani also did the yep. same a couple of years ago here. He knows what it means to build yourself up at that, you know, just getting into the league, just starting as a pro. Um, and he's played, you know, just shy of 100 NHL games. So he's a model that I think a lot of players want to build themselves after and having him in the room being their captain in addition to being on the ice with them obviously a huge thing to have him on the ice but the off the ice is almost just as important for a player like curtis you know, being able to see him as they're coming off the ice just having these little conversations with other players you know oh you know and he's clearly he's pointing to the ice and like oh if you curl here instead of curling here you know those sorts of things that little stuff he's like a, you know a fourth head a fourth coach on the ice that's why you have a guy like Curtis McKenzie out there, in addition to the fact that he's going to pot a bunch of power play goals and get under the other team's skin also. Yeah, it's a, he's he's a, he's in a really good role right now. And you, you throw in Travis Morin on the bench as well, and, and that gives you some nice legacy clout uh, that, that's right there helping these young guys along. Yeah, they, they've done a really good job of building the system um, around these guys. I, I, I was a little concerned. Um, I'm going to, you know, say Dallas fans know that Dallas fans generally, well, I hope most Dallas fans know, you know, there, there's a certain like rose colored glasses to anyone who was associated with a 99 cup run, right? Oh, you know, that, that player was on that team, you know, let's get them in here to be a assistant coach to the whatever. Um, that happens, right? When you, when you have success. And so I had, some level of concern that there was too much focus on, you know, oh, this is the, these are the guys who were here during the glory years. How yeah. will it translate? But, you know, Scott White and, and the, the folks in Dallas who helped make some of those assistant coaching decisions <laughs> were really intentional about it. The, the relationship with Max Fortunas was built over multiple years of him having conversations with Scott White about what do you want to do when you're done? And do you think coaching is on the table? And, you know, it wasn't a snap decision. It wasn't anything like that. It was it was fostered over years behind the scenes so that when Fortuna said, I'm done playing, it was, a, you know, already a done a done deal, uh, a, a, a decision that had already been made that he was going to be, uh, you know, able to come join as an assistant coach here. I think they've been really reasonable about it. They haven't put on rose colored glasses about it. Um, and just anything associated with 1314 Calder Cup year has been automatic. Yes. I, I published this in a story the other day, um, but, you know, talking to Whitey, he said, yeah, we were just reflecting on the fact that when they started, it was two coaches. There was no video coach. There's no goalie coach. There was there was nothing. It was Glenn Gullitson and Paul Girard. And now they've got a whole roster of guys. They've got Graham. They've got Warren Fortunas. There's a video coordinator. There's a goalie coach. There's a player, co uh, player development coach, JJ, who's always here. They've got a, a huge group of guys and, and they've built that out over the years intentionally. Um, they haven't gone too fast. Uh, and so that's led to a really 
good support staff that players know they can rely on and they know that they've been there, which is huge. How do you see uh, how do you see lines kind of you know, you already mentioned that it looks like we're going to have a Swede line. Um, what what else do you see out there? This yeah, well, this is again where we where we get into the uh, I can't I can't see numbers that small because um, I'm so old <laughs> uh, situation. Oh, uh, you're a young man, sir. <laughs> well, well, uh, it, we're we're all just in the in the press box there, squinting, uh, trying to figure out what who was with who. Um, it was it was it's incredibly hard down there. It's very yeah. difficult. It is very difficult to see. Um, but you know, I was I was really interested to see. Um, you know the the roles that they had. Uh, for example, Tufty on a, some some of the power play drills, having uh, guys like Gardner. Um, you know, I believe Gardner was on a line uh, with uh, with uh, Curtis McKenzie. Um, so just having some of those connections. You know, old to young, uh, if you will, old uh, relative uh, to young to to build bring those guys along. I I think other than the the Swede line, I think there's going to be um, a lot of opportunities to mix things up. Um, and and play things around a little bit. You know, I, I look at this forward group. There's just such depth. Like we haven't even talked about uh, Marian Studenich at all. His name hasn't come yeah. up, and I think he's going to be. He's an NHLer. He's yeah. a, he's going to be a huge part of this. And 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 by the way, just like a really great guy too. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to chat with him. You know, but he's 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 also I think a good a good glue guy and and a good guy in the locker room from what I've heard as well. You know, just just from the times that I've had opportunity to be around him, uh, you know, again, adding to the vibes like you hope it's a good team, good locker room. Taylor, I don't know if you had an opportunity to relay the story about him meeting with a 93 year old woman came all the way over just to say hi to him. You know, it, it's he's he just seems like a, a good, good, solid player. And, and he's an NHL guy. Right. Who's playing at this level. So you've got a lot of guys like that who are going to be um, who are going to be here. I do recommend if you have not seen it because it was, you know, season not quite back in to into the swing of things. But the stars actually did post a video of that meeting between student each and, and, the, and the fan. And it was just so adorable. And my favorite part was definitely her wagging her finger at him and telling him that he better play good. In only a way in which, like, that grandmotherly tone where you know that, like, you better do what you're being told or you're going to get in trouble. Uh, it was so cute. It was definitely one of the best parts of training camp. And I'm excited to that, you know, there's fans down in Cedar Park that, you know, are from that part of the world or descended from that part of the world that get to see a guy come and play when you know because the depth is so so big here in Dallas that it's pushing other guys down and it's so cool that they get to see him play some time down there it was really excellent to have the opportunity to to have Dallas camp here again I I think you know Taylor and I were laughing of, of you know who are these fans who are here at you know, on a Thursday at, at 930 in the morning, uh, you know, they're watching drills, watching they drills, right? Drills. Not even, games, right. <laughs> they, they did a breakout drill. They did. They did like, you know, yeah, it they was didn't even, they didn't even practice special teams. It was just like, mm, get around here. Right. Practice exactly. Breakout. It was um, dedicated folks, right? Dedicated folks. And and I think, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a really good season for that. I, I have been inundated myself with with 
banner ads and all sorts of digital placements across all the different platforms for the season opener. I haven't heard yet whether they're looking at, um, you know, whether they're looking at sellout or not. Usually it'd be more likely for that to happen on a Saturday night than on a Friday night for the, for the season opening weekend. But it, it's, I think I'm getting this feeling that people are remembering hockey is here and hockey is back. And, and especially after the past two years being a little strange, people are looking to find, uh, you know, their entertainment dollar. And you know, Cedar Park is 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 a spot where uh, it's not as far away as it used to be. Also, uh, we got a really good turnout of folks other than the 100 degree hockey folks who came to Media Day. Um, and just chatting about that, we thought, oh, well, you know, it used to be Cedar Park was so far away. Ten years ago, Cedar Park was so far away, but it's not mentally anymore. And so I think more folks from Austin proper are starting to see the team. Folks from the suburbs continuing to see that. Dallas, uh, Texas has had uh, some turnover on the marketing side. They're trying some new tactics. I got I got banner ads on Nextdoor the other day. My wife gets them on Instagram. Um, they're trying every possible channel. So I'm really hoping that they're able to uh, pack in a lot of fans, hopefully more fans in the Arizona Coyotes, and, uh, and and you know, see what they can do. Let's spend a little time here. We, we, we've kind of talked about the, the gray hairs on the team. Um, let, let's kind of drop in and, and do a little riffing on the prospects, uh, you know, starting with Maverick Bork. Um, what, what, do you, what, do you see, uh, what do you see his role being on this team? He's, you know, he got a chance to play a couple of games a few years ago, right, as an ATO. And mm-hmm. um, it was clear at that time that he had just this vision that is you can't you can't teach it necessarily and that was evident even in just the the scrimmages and practices that that we were able to watch you know the the passing plays that he was making the the lanes that he was able to find i think that that's going to be it's going to be really fun to watch whoever they're able to to set him up with on on the line combos that they build around him that was evident even in just scrimmages that he had that vision and I'm excited to see what he's able to do with a full season. You know, with the ATO, he came in, he did great, but like, you know, you're coming in off of your, your Q season, you're 18, yeah. Comes, you're 18. Like there's, there was not much prep and he did pretty well. Now he's got a full training camp worth of prep starting from Travers. I, I'm very excited about seeing what he's able to do um, and, and bring to the team. And it's really, it's good that he's able to be here. You know, obviously, everybody wishes that, you know, Logan Sankoven could be here, too. But alas, the HLCHL agreement exists for a reason. Um, and and can't, he can't be here. But, uh, you know, maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah. OK, well, it's a, we'll do a bunch of quick hits here. Um, sure. This is kind of my my uh, my first crush of the year. Uh, Matty Blumel. Yeah, he's he's looked really well um, so far. They've had him, uh, you know, top six minute, top six type of type of line. He's been with those sorts of guys. Um, I talked to Whitey about him yesterday, and he's really high on him, really, really high on him. I think he's going to be a surprise guy who, you know, he was sort of a signing over the summer. Oh, Matty Blumel, okay, interesting. But nobody really gave him a second thought. I think he's, you know, as we get back, get toward the back half of the year, he could be pushing for, you know, in the conversation of Dallas, depending on how how everyone uh, how everyone else uh, performs. Depending on how how much uh, goal scoring the stars the Dallas Stars do, <laughs> yeah, I mean obviously it depends um, on a ton of things, yeah, yeah, but I mean he's he's certainly shown that he knows how to put the puck in the net, so that and that's that's not a not a widespread talent in this organization necessarily. 
yeah, hoping for a lot of a lot of that goal scoring down here with some of the guys who are who are on the roster. So you might get some call ups. Freddie Olofsson. Yeah, so I already mentioned he's on the the Beck and Karlstrom line. Um, they kept that line together through scrimmage. I said they had two goals. Um, they just look good. They look like they gelled. And and I think if they can if that line continues to gel and and stays together, I think I know what I'll be writing some of my feature stories about throughout the year. The three of them working together. I I, I think that's a really good combo, especially since uh, the two of them have you know a year of experience already uh, to help bring him along. He just helps to gel that line together in a really really nice way. Okay, uh, Antonio Strangis. Yeah, uh, he has, you know, he's he had some really good moments. Um, of course, you could always pick him out on the ice, right? Because of the, the oh, yeah. style. You never you never miss him. And I, I think everyone said it a million times. I'll say it again. Um, just having him play against, you know, the guys that he's going to play against in the AHL. Does his style translate? Is he able to, you know, make the type of offensive breakout plays that he? Um, that he was known for in with London, but the you know with skating style and all those things, he's a little bit on the smaller side. That's that's my my most pressing question with him. I think he's going to get opportunities because of the the skill that he showed uh, previously, but um, is he able is he able to make something of them um, and compete against against men as they say? Yeah, and it, yeah, he he's got a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I, I remember they the uh, the stars were playing Detroit up at Traverse City, and uh, Detroit scored a, a goal that was uh, that that they they were pretty fired up about, and and got the crowd involved. And Strangis responded within the next minute or two, and he, as soon as he put it in, he skated right over to the crowd and just kind of did the the shush motion and the kids got some guts yeah i think i mean gosh you look at some of his some of his moves from from london i mean he certainly got some guts and got an edge and and has a little bit of uh, bravado about him and you know not necessarily in a bad way you know one of the knocks for me on the dallas organization traditionally has been you know there's a lot of guys that are just kind of like lunch pail guys there isn't a, there isn't a ton of bravado and a ton of like you swagger. know, the, the big Where flash. Yeah. Swagger. yeah, swagger and like flash and all that kind of stuff. And I think he could bring some of that, right? It'd be really fun to have a guy who scores big goals and then is just insanely excited about it, right? And just like plays with that edge, that swagger, the extra little bit of panache on top of his game. That could be really fun, I think, for for fans and, and uh, you know, provide just a little extra edge on top of what he already has. Yeah, I, I think he's just going to be a fan favorite in Cedar Park after watching what he did. Look, one, one more, and and here this one's not a not one of the new guys, um, but a guy who I think surprised us with how close he came to making the roster. Riley Damiani. Riley Damiani. Talking to him uh, yesterday, he was one of the guys who came out for media day. You know, he. It's another one of those one of those chip on the shoulder versus versus. Uh, kind of you know sulking situations. You got to you got to make the right make the right call here. I was actually surprised to last year um, the rookie of the year, whoever wins the rookie of the year in the AHL usually plays at least twenty games in the AHL the year after they've won the rookie of the year. Damiani uh, didn't hit that number, um, yeah. and so it was sort of a surprise to me. He didn't he didn't even get to double digits. He played seven games, as my crack research uh, gives me. That, I think, you know, combined with the fact that he's not on the roster this year, um, hopefully gives him a chip on the shoulder. I, I think 
he needs to be a guy who plays in all situations. He did play on the on the penalty kill even two years ago when they were in the COVID year. Um, you know, he's he he has the tools, I think, but it's a crowded group now. I think maybe his best chance might have even been this year as he was one of the last guys down from camp. But now you've got so many guys uh, who could potentially be competing with him for that first call up. He's going to have to do a lot to distinguish himself as he as he moves forward. And I would like so, to say that I think that part of Damiani not making the roster isn't necessarily about him. I think he had a really good showing in preseason. I think it comes down to the fact that with Wyatt Johnston making the team out of out of training camp that, you know, there just wasn't a role for him in that top six. And I know that one of the things that all, all coaching staffs everywhere always talk about is putting guys in, you know, the best position to be successful. And I just don't know if they see him as a guy that you want playing, you know, seven, eight minutes on a fourth line role when he can be getting 20 plus down in AHL in all situations. So again, I think it's just like you, like you said, Steven, I think it's partly just, it's a very deep roster all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and in the AHL, he could have an opportunity to, um, as Scott White said, add details to the game, right? Refine your penalty killing because you're not going to be, you're not going to go from first line AHL to first line NHL. That doesn't happen. Right. You need to be able to be comfortable playing 12, 13, uh, 12 or 13 forward. Right. And, and, you know, be a guy who just absolutely eats up minutes on the PK or something like that. Have something additional to your game. And that's why a lot of quad A forwards never make it because um, they don't have that extra detail, uh, whatever it is. And so that's one of the things it, that's why it's always weird. It's like you'll see a guy like Raleigh Damiani, like doing big PK here in the AHL. And you're like, well, he but he's. He should be doing the power play. He should be, you know, first line guy. But that's what he needs to do in the NHL. So he has to practice it here. Um, and so that's something that I'll look. I'll look for him to, you know, continue to play in all situations um, and add those little refined details to his game, so that when he gets the call up and he's somewhere in the middle six, you know, he doesn't just completely squander that time because he's expecting or, or used to, you know, being the the top line center because um, he's not going to get that 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 role is taken. Well, I think last year was a bit of a step back just because he 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 had a line two years ago that just bonded so well, um, especially him and him and him and Adam Maskerin, and and then he didn't really find a home when 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 last year started, and so he bounced around between different different groups, and and I don't think he ever found anybody where where you know he either he could feed them or they could feed him to to put up big point numbers. Yeah, and it shows you the importance of, of finding a good line mate and, and just having that connection. You know, they played together in Kitchener, and that connection was rekindled with Texas. And honestly, it's the reason why Damiani won the Rookie of the Year. Uh, yeah. It was just that connection from him and Masquerade. And obviously, Nick Baptiste on an AHL contract was also important to that line. But those two were were the engine. Um, and Masquerade went over to, to Europe and... Yeah, it, Riley Damiani's game suffered as a result, but I mean that's you're not always going to have uh, the same person on your on your wing, so that's that's part of the growing process for him to be sure. Now, and 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 I think the one other thing that we we kind of need to look out for, especially after comments that uh, were coming from Dallas, you know, I, I think everybody was slightly disappointed with the with the camp that Jacob Peterson had, and so there there that may be a slot. He's he's. 
you know, he, he doesn't have to go through waivers. So, uh, so really there's somebody else who, if he doesn't get off to a great starter, if he need, if he's not getting a whole lot of time, uh, you could see him sliding into Texas periodically. If there's a, if there's a different need or somebody's really putting up good numbers, uh, from Cedar park here within the first month. Well, and that's the benefit of, of the deep bench, not only in Texas, but also for Dallas is you got, I mean, look at the list of the guys that we talked about tonight. You could have any number of these folks just slide right into the lineup for Dallas and feel pretty confident about the game that they would play, whether it's somebody who's younger, like, you know, Damiani or Karlstrom, um, or it's somebody who's a little bit more veteran, right? Like Akiro. There's a lot of different choices here, and Dallas has been in situations in the past where this was not the case, and you were kind of like, there were like maybe two guys that you could pick from, and it was coin flip. This being spoiled for choice is uh, an incredible uh, incredible bit of fortune, but also an incredible bit of, of good planning. Um, and so you know they, they know that they have a lot of guys. They can be confident that they have a lot of guys, and, and hopefully that gives you know a guy like Jacob Peterson, if he ends up not having a good start, you know, they can make, they can make a decision and, and, and change and change things up. Uh, there's a lot of choices here. All right. Let's, uh, let's kind of wrap it up here. Um, what's the surprising, uh, who, who's the surprise performer for Texas that, uh, that that's kind of a little off the radar. Oh, this is a good one. Let's see a surprise performer. Um, I think, you know, we, we talked a little bit about him, but I think that a potential surprise I don't know how much of a surprise. We'll 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 see we'll see how 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 we how we lay this out. For Stranges, I think you know Antonio Stranges is one of those guys who I think is probably going to be feast or famine. To be honest, I think he his game is not going to translate, or he's going to have an amazing like great year. Obviously, hoping that it is a uh, you know it is a feast year, and those are always fun to cover um, when when guys have have big years like that. But I think I think his game either translates or it doesn't. And I don't know which way that surprise is going to go. But I, I think that, that could be a really interesting surprise. I know just based on his skating style and the YouTube videos that are out there, Dallas fans see him and know him. But I think there's I think there's a potential for a surprise for him for for either a feast or famine year. Uh, I that 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 was on high on my list. So now I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board a little bit. You how, how about you, Taylor? Uh, do you see who who do you see coming from Texas that uh, that that could make an impact with Dallas? I mean, the obvious candidate there is going to be Thomas Harley if if he ever gets an opportunity to come back up um, and get his game right down in Texas. Personally, I am looking forward to keeping track of Blue Mel this season because I thought he had a really strong showing in Traverse City, and I thought that he had a pretty nice camp um and him i believe if i remember correctly uh he looked pretty good on a line with student each and so i feel like that might be a sneaky little depth line for texas um that maybe we haven't seen yet uh and so that's who i'm going to be keeping an eye on now you're you're stealing all my guys so I'm, i'm i'm going to my number third pick um i think oscar beck got pigeonholed as a checking center last year and from what I've seen so far this year, he has a bigger game than that. And I think we're going to see some of that, uh, especially with uh, with that Swedish line as they become comfortable together. So I, I expect big things from him. He's not just a checking guy. He can he can be a 200. Uh, he can be an offense and, and defensive strength. 
I'd agree. You know, I, I think Mark and Taylor, your picks are great. You know, Blumel, I'm really interested to see what he's going to do. I already talked about him a little bit at length. And and Becca, I mean, I like him as a person. He's he's good. He's great to talk to, um, you know, on, on a personal level. I think his game translates pretty well uh, up as well. If he gets a chance to be a Dallas star uh, long term, you know, he got a lot of experience, obviously, in the Swedish leagues. And, and um, I, I think that line could be a really, really interesting line with himself, with him, uh, Karlstrom and, and Olofsson. If they get a chance to stay together, if they play, if they gel, that could be a huge engine for a team that that's already, you know, got a V8 uh, under the hood. Uh, that could be just additional fuel on the fire. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, it's always a great pleasure talking with you. There's nobody else who uh, who does Texas Stars like you do. If, if people want to follow what you're doing throughout the year, what do they do? Yeah, absolutely. Just give us a follow at uh, 100 Degree Hockey, 100 Degree Hockey, or 100 Degree Hockey on the web as well, where we publish uh, all the post-game stories and news and notes uh, that come through and interviews and all that kind of stuff. So reach out if you ever want to any sort of coverage as well. We, we love to listen to the fans and answer questions. Uh, the AHL can be... It's super exciting, but it can also be confusing at times because the rules are a little different on you know, transactions and rosters and all that kind of stuff. So just reach out. Uh, we'd love to answer questions and, and get engaged. Thanks. Thanks again. We'll uh, hopefully we can get you on sometime midseason and uh, and kind of rehash where we're going uh, with, with the Texas Stars. Season starts in the next couple days. So uh, thank you, Taylor, for uh, coming with us today. And Stephen, always, always good to talk with you. Another great stargazing. Thank you.